than most. Better than most. Critical takeoff. He falls into the pit. He's going to get spat out. Please make welcome the Ball and All podcast, James Tiger Woods, Beric Eckerbarts, and the king of speaking in the third person, Steve Condor Condo Condon. Okay, we are back for episode three of uh, The Captain's Run, coming into the weekend. Uh, welcome, Barnsey and Woody. Yep, glad to be here. To be here, mate. We're straight off uh, a, a late night last night where we had Sean Doherty in the shed, which was uh, a privilege, really. Oh, it was, wasn't it? When you think about the last sort of 20, 25 years of surf, how much of an integral role has he played, do you reckon, Woody? Enough to shape the media, for sure, in, with his journalism. And I feel like he's nearly, I don't know, he's brought it onto social media to the point where he's like, He's a powerful sort of social media advocate now. He's got a powerful platform. For sure. I, I love his social media stuff. His Instagram. Yeah. Pardon me, his Instagram stuff's amazing. Oh, mate, he doesn't pull any punches, that's for sure. Um, and he's a Dragons, he's a Dragons fan. Oh, Kondo, man after your own heart. What about the Dragon story? Wait for that one, listeners. That's a cracking story. Yeah, so, many, so many good ones in there. Yeah, get on to it. We loved it. It was a privilege to sit down here for two and a half hours. And just the, what Vaughan Blakey, um, who's probably been our biggest mentor when you look at it, what he had to say at the end of the podcast, I suppose, speaks to who Sean both as, is as a person, but also professionally as well, and what he's meant to the surf industry. Yeah, 100%. It was straight from the heart from, uh, from the big man, Vaughan. A great <laughs> tribute to uh, Sean, Sean Doherty's career. Uh, bulletin board. What yeah. have we got on, Barnsley? How big? How busy is November? No, I'm going to have to go... A, a padded cell. Up. You got fishes this weekend. I got fishes this weekend. Yep. We got the golf day the following weekend. Well, before that too, on the eleventh, we've got a Remembrance Day paddle oh, out. Yep. Now, this is done by the Australian Veteran Surface, which is um, run heavily here, I think, in Lennox. So yep. it's going to be a bit of a collaboration between the Bodie Boys and um, obviously AVS, the Australian Veterans Surface. So that's going to be a paddle out at uh, ten thirty down at the Boat Channel at Lennox Head. So that's Friday the eleventh. 10.30 down at the Boat Channel. Um, that's going to be, uh, obviously, on Remembrance Day. I think it's a great thing to be a great part course. of. Uh, hopefully, we can make this something that goes through year after year. And obviously, not on a weekend, so you're not going to get the kids involved, which would be ideal, but if you can make the effort to get down, do it. Do it. The golf day. It's uh, Sunday week, so it's not far away. It's not on Saturday. I thought it was a Saturday. No, it's a Sunday Damn afternoon. Damn it, so we can't really yep. torture. So that is uh, the Healthy Minds Golf Day, which is raising money for their school programs next year. Yeah, boys are doing great things, so we'll be there to support it. Should be good. And I wonder uh, if it'll be as loose as the Mick Fanning one. Well, I don't know. It's going it to it's, it's have a fair bit of coverage. They've got people jumping out of planes as we tee off. Really? Parachuters, Channel 9 are there to cover what's it. Yeah, the, what's the Channel first prize? Can I bid on a car again if I'm uh, pissed off? Hopefully you can't bid on a car and hopefully I can't drop a lot of money on a surfboard. <laughs> it looks like Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, – and then the morning following of the week you got the morning in the mo. We've got a super team, Woody. We've got the two greatest of all time and you've probably won the most surfing titles, haven't you, in it? Like, oh, I, it's a, I feel privileged to be in the company of Nathan Mez Meredith, Ev McGregor, yourself. I don't I, know how I got a Guernsey. Honestly. I love it how it's a, it's a dress-up surf day to raise money for men's health. And this is global. It's not just yeah. in Lancaster. Yeah, yeah, it goes. But we, we've had this one running yeah. since 2006 was the first year. And Ev has been at, I'm pretty sure, I don't think he's missed one. He's won about five single fins. He's like a multi-millionaire in single fins. 
From he being, won last year's one that Piggy shaped. He yeah. won that. He, he's won a Morning of the Earth hand shape single fin. He's won a Chris Brock hand shape single fin. And I'm pretty sure he's won a Gunter Ron single fin. So what, wow. you're, what you're trying to say, it's rigged. No, no he, he just goes all out. The bloke empties the tank. What he does is it's like June or July and you just where I'm on the phone and I'm like talking to him about all this stuff and he's like, oh, you started to think about like what you're going to wear for November. I go, mate, it's, you know, it's July. He goes, yeah, that's where he's at. He went as Michael Jackson. He had a playground in the back of his ute. And pretended to hold his actual baby out of the ute like it was. That's a cracker. Yeah, he doesn't fuck around. Oh, it's a great day. Around the grounds. Uh, are we done in the T20, Barnsley? Well, England winning the other <laughs> night doesn't help us. I think we got it. Now we've got to rely on results to go so our what way. Are we, so, what are we relying on? Well, we've got to hope that either New Zealand lose to Ireland, which you couldn't imagine that happening, or um, England, England lose to Sri Lanka. Which could happen. That could happen. It could happen. Look, the other night, well, I went up and watched Australia and Ireland. Ireland are handy. Like, Lorcan Tucker, I think he's scored the second or third most runs in the comp. Like, they've got, they're actually a handy team. But we also have to belt Afghanistan, don't we? We do. And it, and look, let's be honest, if um, you know, if Rashid Khan gets on a tear and goes through our batsmen, that's not a guaranteed win either. So, no, it's going to be tough. Um I just want to give a shout-out to Virat Kohli. The bloke is averaging 220 in this tournament. <laughs> it's out of this world. <laughs> he's, the, he's the best through all formats, isn't he? Yeah, when you, and especially when you hear the people who really know what they're talking about. When they talk about the way, you can the, change way the they have to bowl to him and just his uh, technique-wise, the bloke's got it all. Rugby League World Cup. Uh, so, Mal's announced his side uh, for the quarterfinal v Lebanon on the weekend. Um I don't know. I, I can't get excited about side, to be quite honest. Um, Nathan Cleary on the bench. Uh, that means uh, you've got the Queensland pairing of Cherry Evans and, uh, and Munster in the halves. Uh, He's off got. He's the soft Ben Hunt doesn't even get a start anywhere on the bench. I don't know. What do you boys think? Have you had a chance to have a look? To me, personally, it's a soft call because it's like Cherry Evans is probably going to sulk if he's not part of this next game. It's like he's giving him one more chance. He's sort of almost hoping he fucks up. So it's an easy one to put Hunt back in. Because Hunt yeah. off the bench, or Hunt starting and Grant off the bench, it's a one-two punch. I don't know. I, I, I don't think Cherry Evans can feel the same role as Hunt. Look, I, totally agree I say this. There must be something about Cherry Evans when he gets in those rep team environments because he plays well. You know what I mean? Look what he did with Queensland this year. You can't but deny... only in game three. He wasn't that good in game one when they won. Even he when they won. all right, mate. Ben Hunt was a player of the series. He was player of the series, but if they're going to pick a starting halfback, mm. you're picking those two above him. So I, I can understand the frustrations of him not being in the number 14 jumper. I think he's but a hard I don't one think to, he can start. I think he's a hard one to drop because he's probably the wingiest. You reckon he's the windiest, or you reckon Cherry... Oh, Cherry yeah. Evans is the windiest. Yeah. yeah, well, and the sway he holds right. over that's, the team. That's what I... I get that. that. I, I, it just looks like he's the one that would kick stones the hardest if he wasn't selected to play at all. And he, and he hasn't even started off the bench. Like, Cleary started off the bench. And Cleary's probably, you'd have to say, 10%, 20% better than him at the moment. Yeah. Don't you reckon? Well, when you think about it... I, I don't really know halfback play, but... You, well, what more does he have to do? He's, he's been the halfback in the premiership winning team for two years in a row. Well, he's played in, and played in three grand finals. Mm. So... Um, I just think he walks into the side personally. If you look at the form at the end of the year, Manly lost seven out of nine or whatever it was yeah. in a row, and Cherry Evans didn't make much of a dent in helping him without Turbo. Yeah, 
and Cleary had five weeks out and his first game back in, he Man scored Parramatta. Fucking scored. Just, I will say this, though. Playing an Australian rep team is far different to a club environment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's different. And Chris Anderson, when we had him on, he picked Noddy Kamali over Joey Johns. Yeah. Just because in, in the environment with Brad Fittler, he wouldn't call. Because yeah. he was too worried about, you know, Lockie and Fittler and whether he'd step on toes. So by putting him in the nine jumper, he effectively just played his own game and ran. So there may yeah. be some method yeah. to Mal's madness. And Mal's got the runs on the board. When it yeah. comes to rep footy, no one's probably won more than him. So there's something there that he's obviously going with and Cherry Evans is benefiting at the moment. When they play England or New Zealand in the final, whoever it is, I don't they know. Play, they'll play New Zealand in the semi. Well, well that's the hardest game of the comp. That's yeah. by far like that should be the final, and that's where Mal will get judged, mate. It's not mm. there, and Mal yeah. may made us all eat humble pie, and I hope he does. So there that's you go. a fair call. Uh, Rugby Union, the uh, Anz- Anzacs versus the Lions is back. It's not back. They've just talked about it. I think it's an unbelievable idea. Great, I idea. think it'd be amazing, but. Whether it comes to fruition, I don't know because they've got to do it around the other test matches. You know what I mean? It'd have to be before the series. So what they're saying is you combine the best of Australia, best of New Zealand. Obviously, we wouldn't have that many players currently on form. How many do you think on form? Oh, I don't know. You've got to Three make it real. No, I think you've got to make it realistic. So it's 70. You know, you've got to be over sort of 70%, I think, yeah. of one team. And and to be fair, if you put a lot of those really good Aussie guys in and, in and amongst those All Blacks blokes, they'd be awesome. Yeah. So... I think it's a great idea, especially against the Lions. Like, you've got to think, that is four of the best nations currently in world rugby, and we mix our two, have a one-off game. It'd sell out in a heartbeat. It'd, it'd sell be, out the G. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. So I just hope New Zealand and the Aussie Rugby Union can come together and somehow get the corporate alliances and all that stuff to come uh, to make it work because it'd, be it'd be a great one-off and then potentially something that could go forward. Melbourne Cup, uh, I came up short. Barnsley, you came up short. What do you had to win? I went off our a fearless leader from the camping trip, Nathan Meredith, and he was feeling it. Well, when you There'd talk about a, feeling it, what would you swap? Um, what was he feeling? He was just feeling the energy from the ground and the earth and everything in between. <laughs> and I, I like that. I like where he was, and I went fuck it and did it. I only put five bucks on it, but it was paying twenty three bucks. It was a gold trip. It was a gold trip. <laughs> 23 bucks it paid. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty Jeez. sure Mezzy, I think he put he 100 up. bucks or something. No, nah, he loaded up and killed it. So, Mez, good on him, mate. Yeah. Uh, so first time caller, long time listener. So, we've got a message here from the English fast bowler. Okay. Wow. First, uh, this is a good question. Here are three great Aussie Olympic moments, unheralded. What is your fourth? So we could all pick a fourth. So his pick is number one, Dean Lucan, 1984. Oh, weightlifting. The tuna fisherman. Yes. If you remember. Yeah, good one. Number two, women's water polo in 2000, Sydney Olympics. That is unheralded because I'm in and amongst a lot of medals. That was a bit of a oh, – I've forgotten the name of the girl who made the shot, but they won it in the last few seconds when she nailed one home. I think it was within the last five Higgins seconds. or Higgins or something. Yeah. Uh, Number three on his list is John Seaman, 1984. Oh, from so the bleachers. I'll go first. Number four for me would be Atlanta Olympics, lane eight. Who's a swimmer? Kieran the Superfish Perkins. Yeah. Can yeah. I just tell you where I was for that? It I just, know where it, I was too. Where were you? I was in Punch Bowl. Punch Bowl? I was in Punch Bowl. I stopped at a pub driving to Camden Lakeside to play golf to watch it. All right, well, I can remember it like this. I'm at the Kingaroy Red Ants Rugby League ground. It's grand final day. 
big day. And I'm out there on the field and they're pumping out simply the best over the microphone and we're getting ready for the under 11 grand final, pumped up. And, um, and, all, and then all of a sudden it cuts in the thing and we're going, and it's gone, the commentary of the 1500. And it's like, Perkins, Perkins in lane eight. He's going to So it's do just it. over the mic. Over the mic. And we're all out in the footy ground holding on because, mate, I used to train at John Carew's pool. Now, John Carew was yeah. Kieran Perkins' coach. And he used to just at the, um, it was like in uh, sort of near Indrapilly there. And I used to go up when I was ever in Brisbane and go and train at their 25 metre pool there. And I actually got to hold Kieran's medal from oh, uh, Barcelona. So he was a long shot to win it in Atlanta. So that was a, that's a great one, Condo. What about you, Woody? Is it, does it have to be an Australian moment or can, can it be just It's got to be an Australian moment. It's got to be an Australian moment. Well, just a little backstory. I did a school project in the 96 Atlanta Games. I did a school pro- project on Michael Johnson, the sprinter. Oh, yeah. And I just remember them clearly. They're kind of first ones I remember mm. of his 200 and 400. He had the gold shoes. But the, the, the memory for me for Australian moment is the Sydney Olympics. It's the, it was probably the first or second night and it was the um, men's four by one hundred meters. Uh, oh, swimming! The swimming, the relay, yes. and and th- and they the Americans were talking shit. And it was I think Michael Klim, yeah, yeah Ashley Carl, Callis, and um, Thorpe, Thorpe finished it off. I just remember how it didn't look like he was swimming fast, but he was making ground on him in the last fifty, and he just creeps up like a fucking crocodile. And I remember jumping up and down. I was I think I was about thirteen, and I could not believe. That we'd come back and got it. That was probably, probably that the was amazing. The mate. one that stands out the clearest for me, and probably the other one that I can remember. And I was actually not in Australia. I was away. Well, I think I was in Indo. Was um the the Athens game where yeah. it was the two hundred final. It was Hackett, Thorpe, um, Van and Hugenberg, Van and Hugenberg, and fourteen year old. Michael Phelps in the final. It was yes. the greatest final. It was the 200 metres. 14-year-old Michael Phelps. I think he was 14 yeah. or 15. It was his first Olympics and he made the final. And he, I think he came third or maybe fourth. He just finished behind those guys. And what a Thor final. went fucking mad. Can I take all of us to task, including the English fast bowler? What are we thinking when we don't have Kathy Freeman in there? Yeah. It's tough to go past a greater Olympic moment than Kathy. Oh, and the pressure. That's yeah. the thing. To, to be – there's been no probably bigger stage to have yeah. to front up and perform as she did it. So, Kathy, I think – let's just clarify that. Kathy's your number one. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to go something a little bit different here because I – unusual. Yeah, well, that's right. But Jane Savile. Huh? Now, I think 2000 Olympics, right? She's leading into the stadium. She's leading. She's trained her whole life to be in this position. She's leading the 40K walk. She gets the – Disqualification. Like she breaks down. Say. Yeah, like the Yuli say. But she just, you could see the, like, you imagine working your whole life to have some idiot in a freaking thing pull you up and just break your heart like that. And for her then to go, to find it within herself four years later to come back and win a bronze medal, I go, that's what the Olympics <laughs> is about. That's, it's not Redemption. always the winning. It's mm. about working your whole damn life to come up short occasionally and then finding another way. I yeah. think. That was uh, – it's not the most heralded moment, but for me that was a special one. Yep. Homework review. King Richard. Have we all watched it? Yep. We've yeah. We've all watched it. It's, it's one of the best. It's a great movie. It's a great choice. Incredible. Yeah. In, I don't know. I found it really it's sad at times. I, I got really sad. A In what people. way do you think? Just the struggles. 
the sacrifices, just like Mar- Margaret Court's got 24 majors. Yep. Serena's got 23. Mm. And what she had to go through versus what Serena had to go through to get them. like Yeah, and also who she had to play against. Yeah. Yeah. But Look, like just being a coloured, you know, African-American, yeah. it's like you go on a nice tennis clubs in America. I'm sure there's struggles from an early age to get there. Yeah, I think our two greatest female, when you talk about tennis players, you look at Martina Navratilova and what she overcame in terms of being um, one of the first athletes to ever come out as gay yeah. and be open about it early on. That was huge. And then what Serena faced. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that it, it you're talking about the movie though. It comes down to the father and his parenting, and I, you know it's an interesting word. They he actually moved them from Long Beach to Compton. In his 75 page plan before they were born, okay, he's written this plan for them where they were going to be, and it all pretty much came true to a T. But he thought that that environment, being how hard it was in Compton, in the gangs, Crips, Bloods, yeah. the whole thing would bring out the best in them. Crazy. It would make a tougher athlete out of them. I, so, I couldn't get my head around that. Huge. Yeah. Oh, no one does that. We all move to comfort. Well, he ran to hardship. Well, I think especially when you're, when you're actually looking after somebody other than yourself, i.e. your yeah. family. Imagine the, imagine the – I mean, obviously he was by their side for most of the training, but just the thought of moving around inside that, that time mm. in Compton – and yeah. with four, four young girls in that, like in that area, yeah, how worried you'd be, how stressed you'd well, be. Well, mate, he had you know guns and that sort of stuff. Yeah. He got bashed multiple times, yeah. and then and then eventually they came to protect them. Yeah, um, they could see where he yeah. was going and well, how yeah. hard he was working. What's your take on? Uh, because you sort of read uh, different different views, but does he have a good relationship with his with Serena and Venus these days? Do you think? I don't know, but I think it's okay. Yeah, but where where his issue and where where Richard's not perfect, and they don't really touch on this in the book. But he had five kids in a previous relationship before the one that he had Serena and Venus. Yeah, and they basically said they don't have great things to say. Well, one daughter doesn't, who's the one who's quoted. So they basically didn't see him around since he left. And focused a lot of his attention on Venus and Serena, and then the other, the partner he was with at the time, with Serena, or his wife at that time, they had she had three kids from a previous relationship, so they're sisters as well. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, one thing I got to credit him with more than anything else is that he understood the process of success far better than most people. And whilst he was unconventional in how he went about it. He rationalised it really well, some of the technical elements of it, like, and then not making them play pro. Mm. He looked at Jennifer Capriati and went, look, she's off doing drugs and she's basically burnt out because of all the junior stuff she had to go through to get it because that was the way it had to be done. And he said, nah, stuff it. My girls aren't going to play juniors. I just play pro when they're ready. Yeah, I think, um, I think my takeaway was when you look at, obviously, the black, you know, Afro... Uh, Negro American, yeah, yeah. and I think tennis and golf really set up very similar pathways, as in very exclusive country club type setup in America. Tiger Woods, yeah. the Williams, yeah, like you know like all, all the issues that you see in King Richard. If you go and go into the detail of Tiger's dad and the pathway he set out, and then all the obstacles he had as a junior golfer, as in you know just basically playing public courses, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough. Really tough. I think um, both, like, say what you want about their unconventional coaching techniques, but they're effective. Like what Earl Woods, you know, the abuse he used to hurl at Tiger in order to 
make him mentally tougher oh, to go to sure. that. To prepare him. Like Richard Williams used to put down broken glass at the back of the court so that the girls would play on the baseline. Yeah. So they wouldn't get back there because they know what was back there. So they'd hit, take the balls early. Yeah. The way they changed their forehand and took it flatter instead of looping it. And, and then the throwing the rackets with the serve. Like I remember mm. we did that drill as kids as a result of him. Yeah. He wasn't a pro tennis coach. He was just a guy who looked at it and went. If you look at the, do, yeah. If you look at the way she plays her technique, it's fucking perfect. Like yeah. you could, it's not like she has an unconventional swing or or approach to her game either, Serena. It's one that she can play long games, plays yeah. powerful, can play both ways. Yeah, I think I think the story is so great because it's human. Mm. There's so many fallible yeah. areas in it. There's so many areas yeah. where you can go, oh, geez, that's would you do that? I don't know, but you know what. To do what he did is one of the most remarkable things. You know, it's unbel- It's uncanny. How do you, yeah. how do you get two girls to the top of tennis, the tennis world, facing that much adversity? Will Smith's a freak at taking on a role. Is there anyone better at doing like those sport biopics sort of things? He's got a few he's, top ones, hasn't he's he? Amazing. Ali, yep. King Richard, King Richard, <laughs> um, um, concussion. Yeah, concussion. He's done that. Yeah. yeah. I, I get, get out and watch it. It's Look, we, we, we really enjoyed it. I, I suppose that gets us on to, like, I think get off the fence this week. Like, let's talk parenting. Sports parenting, you know, in Sports particular. Sports parenting. Well, gee, where do you want to start on that, Barnsley? Sports parenting. So it was a question, how hard you push if you've got a kid with talent or how hard yeah, you don't push? Yeah, I think, yeah, where, where, where's the line? Because, you know, you've got to be committed. You've got to be the one who's going to take him to places. But I also look at – I look at that other um, docker, which I think we should watch down the line too, in Search for Greatness, where I look at Wayne Gretzky's dad and I compare him to Tiger Woods mm. and I go – Very different approach. Very, very different. I would have much rather have Wayne Gretzky's dad than Tiger's, mm. but they still change their respective sports. Even Federer's dad to a degree. Like yeah. He had – and you compare that to Nadal's dad or yeah. some of the other golf. Rory's dad even, he seems like – Pretty mellow guy compared to Tiger's dad, really, eh? Very much. Yeah. Like, it, he loved yeah. golf and I guess... Still Rory, does. Rory got the love of golf, yeah. but... It's such a hard one, isn't it? Because they're the models that we all look to aspire to. We think, well, if that's what they did, we've got to do it that way. How many kids fall by the way? So, yeah. like, I look at Andre Agassi. I read his dad's book and I read Andre's book. And Andre was the one who got through, but he had two older siblings who had the same amount of pressure put on them and absolutely broke them. Yeah. Mentally broke them. And Andre... You know how much troubles he had. He got through and made it. So, first and foremost, the kids got to want to do it themselves. It can't be your dream. Hundred percent. Well, I think there's two things. I think that's number one. I think number two is you is you got to you got the kids got to dial out or the parents got to dial out once the enjoyment's gone. The enjoyment has to remain in every session. Well, you know, sometimes that's hard, but the enjoyment's got to be there. I don't think it has to be competitive till they're 14. That's a great point. That's the one thing I'll credit Richard Williams with. He didn't take the path of everyone else. The competitive side does not have to start early. Uh, He he understood that you need the technique. You need all the basic foundations. You need the love of it. Yeah, yeah, great point. Serena's had a kid and she's 40 and she still still wants to play. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You need to find a way for them to love it as much as you do. And I feel like competing from an early age, chasing results, gets you nowhere. Interesting, the surfing then, isn't it? Yeah, very much. Like if you make it about okay. results, because then you start to value yourself on how your results are and that can change the perspective of not going to comp because if there's people that are as good as you, you don't chase the comps because you're afraid of your value going down because you might not win. Yeah. 
Where do, where do you sit on this though? So the NRL, like this is that sort of question again, but the NRL coming out recently and um, saying that we're not going to make games competitive until under 12s. I think it's different in a team sport. I, yeah. I would prefer all my best memories with teams were before I was 13. Trying to win a premiership? Yeah, trying to win a grand final. I never won a grand final with soccer or anything yeah. like that, but it was well, always. Well, under 11 roller hockey. Yeah, we won. Them, yeah, you know it? what I mean? Like, I, I would. I'd say it's a shame because people. I reckon you'll get more kids walk away because it's not competitive because it'll be boring. Totally agree with that. You agree with that? Yeah. Yep. Look, I, I think uh, I remember vividly one Friday night this year coming down to watch Archie, your son play, yeah. and um, we were talking about the competitive, non-competitive, only for a couple of minutes. And you said, Condo, it's pretty simple. You, they can play non-competitive, but they all know the score anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like kids, kids know what's going on. Like I, I don't think I, I don't think it's a smart move by the NRL, and I'm with Woody. I think they'll see participation drop off. I was more referring to surfing and individual sports yeah. when I was talking about that because there's so many events per year. You've got a season in a team sport that goes for how many games? Sixteen games and then finals or something like that. Is it about? Yeah, yeah. it's a bit different for for surfing. There, there can be a contest every weekend if you really go look for it. I think maybe if you if you we're just slowly building someone into loving surfing. Maybe a couple of events locally, yeah. and maybe a board riders just to get the hang of it. You yeah. can't underestimate the Capriati type sort of burnout. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think um, we'll, uh, we'll well we can touch on it now because we've uh, we, we've done Macy Callahan's um, podcast, but I think she makes a really good point. Like she swam competitively, clubby the whole lot until sixteen. Surf the I wouldn't say the occasional comp. I used to see her at comps quite regularly. But she wasn't burnt out from just one sport focus. And then yeah. when she won the World Junior, it was right out. And she, we're talking about someone who won a national breathstroke title. Yeah. I, I think the research is in on that. Like, yeah. if you're a parent out there, get your 100%. kids playing a multitude yeah. of sports. So their friendship group diversifies, yeah. they get better influences, and they've got more options when it comes 100%. to maybe their burnout in one thing. And well, they cross, they're cross-training, they're cross-referencing yep. of sports. That's hours too. That ten thousand hour rule, like you're doing in a, her doing breaststroke and clubbies, would help us surfing. But you're not identified by one sport and right a result point. in one Correct. fucking sport. So you might suck for a bit in surfing, but you might be kicking ass in your netball or your footy team. Yeah, and, really and well you, so you still value yourself. You're not. You've got to be a bit more mature to make good decisions that are going to last your lifetime. Like in regards to following your sport, balls deep's a bit bit uh, bit different this week. I've decided to delve into uh, something I found <laughs> found earlier this morning. John Daly, after a big night out. So you'll like this one, Woody. So <laughs> I've he, read he, this. He calls into Taco Bell for a uh, – obviously he's very hungover and he's ordered – this is just for him – 20 uh, – sorry, five grilled cheese burritos, 10 crunchy taco supremes. They're good. 10 spicy double steak grilled cheese burritos and one beef burrito. Yeah, and look up the very top. What's the very top thing? 20 mild sauce packet. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, so he dropped 400 and 450 US after a hangover just for himself. I feel like John Daly's the type of person that could just go up in flames, like explode. <laughs> well, Woody, there, actually there's a book. It, it, it was out, it's been out quite some time, I'd say well over 10 years now, but it's a great read, the John Daly story. It is a great read. In a few episodes, I reckon, delve into his one night at gambling uh, down the line yeah, anyway. No, but let's get on to, while, while we're here, let's go to the balls up of the week. This is a bit well, an interesting I, one, this one. Yeah, I think the balls up of the week is the uh, is the New South Wales flood findings. I don't know. They, what have they come up with? 
A lot of recommendations. I've read it a few times. I think it's ridiculous. There's, um, you know, there's there's no there's no actual outcomes or you know go tos of what we're going to do. Well, let's just pick one thing, right? The Ballina SES. One mm. of the boys made a good point this morning. That was inoperational. It couldn't couldn't operate because it was in flood water. They haven't moved it. Still stands there. to reason, like if you're going to have a flood again, you probably want the SES in a to building move. that's freaking not <laughs> flooded. I don't know. Makes sense, but there's so many other things on there which just need to be sorted. If you could put the Ballina SES building, state of the art building, purpose built for any sort of emergency within our area, it could be built near the water slides. That's the perfect spot. Pretty sure there was water around there and it was coming in. But if it's built well with good facilities, you can get boats in, you can get trucks around into town the other way past the skate park. That whole big car park there where you can launch your boat. Yeah. I feel like somewhere around there would be pretty useful. Well, that's where everyone was using. That's what I mean. It makes total sense. That's where we were going in and out of. So there you go, New South Wales government. Final word, Woody, you're first off. Uh, Final word for me is... There's a f- I've got a few on my on my mind. I guess the biggest one is gamble responsibly, but if you've got a good tip or a gold trip, go hard. Go hard or fucking go home. Barnsey? Uh I was just going to say, kids, play a multitude of sports. I'm going to stay on the flood one. Uh, full, full of recommendations, but not one deliverable. Just a bunch of suggestions and recommendations. Hang your head in shame. It's a disgrace and embarrassment. And we need actions now. Steve, fire up. up.